0: Well, again, welcome. We are glad that you are here with us. One of the things that I am thankful for this morning is freezing temperatures. Uh, if you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, for those who maybe uh, got out early, I, I do want to share one stat. There's all kinds of different stats you can look at to see how, how was the Sunday, how was, you know, how, how was anything. You can, you can measure different things. Uh, one of my favorite numbers from last week was zero. Uh, zero cars got stuck in our parking lot, so that was awesome. Uh, we're very thankful for that. Uh, if you missed last week, you missed a fun, exciting Sunday. Uh, it was a very warm, a very wet Sunday, and did quite a number to our parking lot. Um, all I'm going to say on that, we've been hitting on this a little bit, uh, there is a plan that is in place, uh, all that stuff takes time, uh, and so that, that will be coming uh, in the weeks ahead, but I do want to ask you to be praying for a couple things. Uh, first, be praying for funding. Uh, we, we'll, we'll be doing a fundraiser here in, in the weeks ahead uh, to raise funds to be able to put in uh, some additional parking. We'll put in some gravel and some maybe even some asphalt. We'll uh, Be looking forward to that. Uh, we also, I remember, we'll be praying about the heart of that. While while it's nice to have something new and and, and something more convenient, the heart of putting in a parking lot uh, on this property is to be able to remove the offense of a mud pit, right? If you invite your friend to come, come to church with you and you want them to hear about Jesus, you want to see them growing in their relationship with God, and all of a sudden they have to wade through feet and, and, uh, of mud, and they're not sure if they're going to be able to get their car out. There are a few locals that, that would enjoy that, and that's fine. Uh, invite them out now. Um, but I, I imagine most of your family and friends would, would prefer to have uh, an easier path than uh, so we want to do everything we can to remove anything offensive because the gospel is offensive enough on its own. And, and so we want people to, be able to come with, with open hearts and open ears to hear that and, and with uh, a lack of mud on their feet and their cars. So that's kind of the heart behind this. We're praying for that as well, that it could, this, this uh, funding and, and this project could come to fruition uh, for that purpose. Uh, but also we praying about um, your involvement. Maybe what is God starting to put on your heart about how he would want you to be involved in this project in the weeks and the months ahead? And so that is what I would ask you to commit to, is just be praying about that. I want to ask you, have you ever been a, been a part of a good wrestling match? Probably most of the guys can relate, some of the ladies too, yeah, no, yes, no? Okay, so the, I want to give you my top three wrestling matches that I've ever been a part of. Uh, number three was with my groomsmen, so it was about four or five of them, uh, I, I was still ganged up on, I couldn't quite tell how many were involved. Uh, this was the night before I got married, they had filled the hotel bathroom with a diluted mixture of green food coloring and green dye, and their goal, so was when uh, The Incredible Hulk was one of the common movies that was just out, their goal was to dye as much of me as possible that would be hidden by the tuxedo. And so they were fighting to get gloves on me and and keep my head above it all. And um, So they tried to hog-tie me to get me in the bathtub. I'm I'm happy to say I was successful. Um, I used every trick in the book. I I, I fought dirty, but I prevented myself uh, from getting dyed green. But my favorite was when they had my hands duct-taped together, and I'm I'm, I'm talking to one friend, like heart-to-heart, man-to-man. I'm like, dude, dude, I know this is all in fun, but seriously, cutting off circulation, I I can't feel my hands. I lied. I'm sorry. Forgive me, God. So he's unwrapping the duct tape, and I'm just watching him strip after strip after strip. i the la- like, I wouldn't go that far, but okay. So he goes all the way off, and I pull my hands apart, and I say sucker, and then I win. The second one, this is kind of an ongoing one. Maybe one of these days I'll win. Uh, my, my second favorite uh, wrestling match is with my kids. Uh, I will forewarn you. Uh, any of you are, are welcome to come to my house. If you want to come over, let me know. We'll set something up. Uh, be forewarned. If you lay on the ground, you are fair game. You are fair If you trip and fall while you're trying to take your shoes off, if you land on the ground, one of my kids will be on top of you wrestling right off the bat. This is how it rolls in my house, and I just love that. It's one of my favorite things to do. Top favorite story wrestling match in my life, I'm not even sure what would ever match this. Um, It it stays PG-rated, so don't worry, parents, uh, is with my wife. So we were wrestling one day, and you know, ladies, you go home, you want to put on your comfy clothes, and typically, your comfy clothes have a very stretchy waistband, right? And so I took her legs, and I don't know what the exact wrestling move is, but I was able to like, flip her over onto her stomach and then bend her knees backwards like this. And I had this awesome idea. I wonder if her waistband would stretch over her feet. And it did. It was awesome. Because you can imagine, you can't get your feet undone. Because if you can't picture it, just try it out. You'll, it's fun. I, I did ask her permission to share that story. And I, she said, you can as long as you make sure they know that I won the match. And so uh, my wife won the match. Because she got me, <laughs> you know. Wrestling is a battle. You know, it, it, it's the, this uh, duking it out. You know, you, you're both trying to gain ground. Who you're going against? Um, it's also something that's kind of intimate. It, it's this close uh, invading of personal space. Again, the, the point of the battle, the point of the wrestling, depending on what that is, um, it, it may be a different kind of intimate. Maybe one will be like this is this is invading my personal space. I, I don't want this wrestling match in my life right now. Uh, my mom and my dad got me into judo when I was a little kid. Uh, it's one of those like, self-defense, karate, but not cool, like karate sort of things. Um, and and I, I didn't like it. It had nothing to do with the actual sport. It's just the guy that I kept getting paired up with, because they try to match it by size, uh, was this kid who, I, you swear, he sweated in his, his, whatever, the key, or I don't know what they're called, in, in his robe, and, and then he would put it in his locker, and it wouldn't come out until the next time we had to go wrestle. And so it just it was offensive to wrestle with him uh, to, to the, the, the senses. Yeah, but wrestling is this intimate uh, close proximity it tires you out it's this ongoing battle rarely does someone end a wrestling match and like all right what do i want to do next like I'm, I'm up for something no it's just okay, give me a minute i gotta right? and that's even the victor it doesn't matter how it, it, it tires you out well as i got thinking about wrestling and all that i thought you know, a lot of times life is like that right There's aspects of life that feel like a battle. They feel like they're they're intimate, whether it's welcome or not, whether it's an invasion of our privacy of our close personal space or or, or not. It's it's something that's right there in our face that we have to deal with, and we end up tired and exhausted at the end of the day as we deal with life. Well, this is what we're going to be looking at how with God in our life, there's a, a true and better story that's told through God's wrestling with Jacob. how how there's a true and better Jacob known as Jesus. We're going to examine that. These past weeks we've been going through different Old Testament characters with this concept of how Jesus is a true and better character, whichever one that we've been looking at. Some of the ways that God worked in and through Abraham, how God worked in and through Isaac, and now we're going to look at Jacob. You may have heard the phrase, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob. This is a common phrase you see in the Old Testament. And this is what it's talking about. These are the The grandfather, father, and son, at this point in our story, uh, who who God's story is unfolding through. He chose Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to give you, what was it, land, right? I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you uh, a nation, offspring, and I'm going to give you a blessing. You'll be blessed, and you'll be a blessing to all people. We looked at that a few weeks ago, and last week we looked at uh, Abraham and Isaac, right? And and So Isaac is the son of promise. And so you have Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, have twins, uh, Esau and Jacob, and so we're looking at Genesis chapter 32, we're going to jump right in here this morning about Jacob wrestling with God. If you want to turn your Bibles there, we'll get there eventually, Genesis chapter 32. Uh, before we get to Genesis chapter 32, I-, I need to give you some backstory. If we just jump right in, you're like, what's going on? This does not make sense. It may even feel that way a little bit once we get there. Uh, so the prequel to what's happened in Genesis chapter t- uh, 32 is that from the beginning of Jacob's life, there was conflict. Uh, So Rebecca, who's pregnant with Jacob and Esau, uh, just some crazy stuff's going on. She's like, God, what gives? What's going on with these these boys inside me? And and, and God basically says, uh, the children struggled within her. The children struggled. So from inside the womb, these two are going at it. And so Esau, he's actually the oldest. He's born first, um, and, and Jacob is born grasping his heel. And his name literally means heel grabber or supplanter. Jacob cheats Esau out of his birthright for a bowl of soup. He kind of gets him in a situation where he says, Hey, I will give you this soup if you give me your birthright. Fair fair deal, right? No, he cheats him out of it. He found a time where he knew he would take the deal. And then we see, uh, you kind of had Esau was dad's favorite, and uh, Jacob was mom's favorite, and and mom knew that Isaac was about to pass away, and, and he wanted to pass along his blessing. And so he sent out Esau to go get something to eat, go hunt some wild game. And so Rebecca calls Isaac over and says, Here's what we're going to do. Um, calls uh, Jacob over and says, We're going to trick your dad. We're going to trick him into giving his birthright, uh, your brother's birthright, to you. And so they put this whole plan together. And so not only did he get it from Esau, but then his dad passes on uh, the first birthright to Jacob. And when Esau finds out about this, he vows to kill his brother. But again, Rebekah intervenes. The mom intervenes and says, Jacob, your brother wants to kill you because of all this. You need to get out of here. And so he runs. And this sets up some of the patterns of Jacob's life, where he cheats and deceives and then flees when things get too hot. He just runs. So he runs to Laban. And Laban, uh, basically, he's going there. He's going to find a wife. And Laban has these two daughters. Rachel and Leah, and when Jacob gets there, he definitely reaps what he sows, okay? So there's a couple different stories where Laban changes the wages uh, on Jacob, Jacob works for him, and he changes the wages up, Jacob falls in love with his younger daughter, Rachel, and Laban says, okay, well you work for me for seven years, and then you can have my daughter's hand in marriage. Cool, good deal, so he works for seven years, and he goes to get married, and all of a sudden, Laban pulls a switch of roots. Says, oh, actually, you get the older daughter first. You get Leah. It's our custom here that the older daughter needs to be married off first. Like, well, I don't want Leah. I want Rachel. Okay, well, honor Leah in the marriage. Honor her. Work another seven years, and you can have Rachel. Okay, so he works 14 years total for Laban, at least in this deal, specifically to get Rachel and Leah, and ends up with two wives. He also has two maidservants of those ladies that go along. So through all this, he ends up with two wives, two maidservants, and 11 children from those four ladies. And so in the midst of all this, there's conflict with, with, with his father-in-law, uh, basically this Laban and his sons. He kind of has like a, a Laban's and sons uh, shepherding company working up here, and, and they're seeing that, okay, Jacob's getting all of our stuff. He's got you know, our two sisters. He's get, you know, getting a lot of dad's flock as, as he works for him, and, and kind of every time Laban tried to cheat him, God showed him favor. And so he's getting all this stuff, and there was conflict that was coming to fruition here. So God calls Jacob to go home. we got Genesis chapter 31, verse 1 through 3. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. He's seen there's some conflict with the in-laws. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So you may say, may want to stop right now and say, hey, Steve, stop. You said that Laban was a guy, I'm sorry, that Jacob was a guy who would get into trouble and then run. Well, this isn't him running. God is saying to go, right? So how can that be running? Well, God said go, but it's the way in which he does that where you see Jacob's character coming out. It wasn't a, hey, Laban, thank you for all, all the years of work. And for your, you know, your daughters and their hand of marriage, you know, in the flocks and all, all that, being able to grow wealth, you know, I'm gonna be parting ways, heading back home. He sneaks out in the middle of the night. And so when, when Laban realizes that this is what happened, he pursues him. He chases him down. They finally meet up, and there's kind of this tense exchange of words. Um, there's also there, there was a, some of Laban's idols. He, he was didn't worship God. He had these, all these idols were stolen by one of Jacob's wives, Rachel. Um, Laban never did find him he says okay must have been someone else and leaves and so there's all this conflict that, that Jacob is running from but he's also following God so when God said go I want you to go home so Laban's behind him Jacob's heading home Esau lies ahead so it's like he went from one, one kind of uh, boiling point to a new boiling point so what does Jacob do? he sends off a messenger he did, this has been 20 years He doesn't know if his brother is going to want to see him, going to want to kill him still. He doesn't know. Genesis 32, 6 through 8. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. You ever had uh, anxiety about going to visit family? <laughs> Jacob is uh, a little anxious here. Put, put yourself in Esau's shoes first. All of a sudden, these guys show up in your home. They're looking for you. They're asking around. Hey, you know where Esau is? Go right over there. Hey, Esau, your brother's coming home. And all of a sudden, those messengers see 400 men gathering to go out and greet him. Well, if you're Esau, you probably wondering, you know, what? what's this guy thinking coming back home after he cheated me out of my birthright? How would you feel if you were Esau? How would you feel if you were Jacob and got word back from your messengers that your, your, your brother's coming to meet you and he's got 400 men with him? That must be a friendly welcoming party, right? He doesn't know. and He kind of freaks out. And so again, he goes into this fight or flight mode where his, his mode is the, to flee, his flight. And so he divides all that he has into two different camps, thinking, okay, well, at this point, you know, he knows I'm coming, that there's really nowhere just to run. He can chase us down. So if I divide into two, if he attacks the one, the other one can, can get away and can go free. And so his plan is pretty much to have two camps, send them both ahead separately, and then he would be at the very end. He actually has a plan to send a whole bunch of stuff with messengers as gifts, as bribes, too, to kind of you know, sweeten up his brother uh, before he reveals himself. So Jacob's life is an absolute mess at the point in the story that we're going to pick up. Absolute mess. I think sometimes we also get this mindset that, hey, they're in the Bible, that they must be, you know, a holy roller, just an awesome person walking with God, right? You get people who are walking with God and people who are far from God all throughout Scripture. Well, yeah, but he's one of the greats. He's one of the patriarchs of the faith. It Doesn't mean he doesn't have a story. Jacob has not been walking with God up until this and His life is an absolute mess. There's conflict in his family with his in laws, with his brother. We're not going to get into this today, but there's also conflict between the, the mothers of his children. He's striving to keep and care for all of his belongings. Okay, I've got to move all this wealth I made here with Laban. I've got to bring it home. Okay, I think my brother's coming to get me, so how do I hold on to this stuff? Whether you have a lot or a little, there's still, there's still a struggle to try to kind of figure out how to, how to move all that, what to do with it. Uh, There's a quote out there by Zig Ziglar. He says, uh, money won't make you happy, but everyone wants wants to find out for themselves. And uh, Jacob's definitely having that struggle. He's got all this stuff, and he's like, well, I think my brother's coming to attack me. What what do I do with it? I can't can't just leave it here. There's a battle looming on the horizon. 400 men are coming. Have you ever just not been ready for tomorrow to come? Have the stresses of life ever just been so overbearing that you just don't want today to end because if today ends, that means tomorrow's coming. You're just not ready for it yet. Maybe you're thinking the other way around. Let's just get this over with. Come on, Esau, do whatever you're going to do. Let's just get it over with. You can't wait for a day to come to an end. Or you can't wait for a season of life to come to an end because it's such a battle. such a drain on you. Jacob's relationship with God is shaky as well. Look at this, Genesis 32, uh, verse 9 through 12. uh, I'm sorry, just verse 9. I want you to look at this closely. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. This is just one example of many, where you can see a distinction here. He says, to the God of my grandfather, to the God of my father, to the God who said this to me. He keeps it very businesslike. He he never says, my God. Lord my God, he never personalizes, he never says, you are my God. So Steve, are we reading into this? You keep looking again and again, and up until this point where we're going to look at where he wrestles with God, it's always the God of my fathers. But then we're going to see there's a transition that takes place after he wrestles with God. So his life is a mess. Can you relate to being in that place? Is your faith largely reliant on your parents? Well, I'm I'm a this because my parents were always that. That I, I, I was my story, I grew up Lutheran, so I'm a, I'm a Lutheran because my parents were Lutherans. It, it was a mind-blowing experience for me when I, when I actually learned that, I think one of my parents was actually grew up Episcopalian, another one was like Presbyterian, but they kind of had some common ground in, in a Lutheran church, and so that's how I was raised as Lutheran. I'm like, oh, if you guys aren't Lutheran, then what, what am I? You know, it kind of blew my mind, and I began to say, okay, well, it doesn't really matter what my parents grew up, it's, it, it's what am I going to be? I had to make that decision for myself. And it's more about the religion, the way I follow God, but it's about being in relationship with him through Jesus. But some of us can relate to Jacob because we're living largely on our parents' faith, those who have gone before us. It's not my God. It's, it's, that's their God. That's why I'm in church on a Sunday, or that's why I'm at church on Christmas and Easter. It's because that's, that's my parents' God. I want to honor them. We even see that Jacob knows about God. He even obeys God in different ways, right? He's, God said, all right, go back home. Okay, I'm going home even though it kind of worked out that he gets out from the conflict that was brooding uh, with his in-laws. But, so he knows some things about God. He even obeys some of it. But does he truly know God? I think the more we look at his life, we would say, no, he doesn't. Okay, I, can you relate to that in your story? Whether now at this point or, or maybe before. And I, I can relate to that. There are points in my life where I'm like, okay, this is what God says we're supposed to go and do. But I didn't know God. I just knew his rules and his commands. He's also aware of the promises that God has made to his family and to himself personally. We see this in Genesis 32, 11 through 12. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand on the sea, sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered uh, for multitude. You see that line there in, in verse 12. Actually, I go back to verse 11 too. You get this heart that Jacob's trying to kind of, kind of control God. God, will you come and save me? Think of the women and children. But God, you made this promise. So okay, he's thinking some of what he knows about God, and he, he, I call, we have this in my home where uh, this is past couple weeks. I've been saying, stop calling me but Dad. Stop calling your mom but Mom. What are we talking about, Steve? We tell our kids to do something, but Mom, but Dad. That they're trying to work a different plan. They have something else they want to see done. Jacob's not in control here. His brother's possibly coming to kill him. And he's like, God, you got to save me. And if it's not your plan, think of the women and children. But God, you said you were going to bless me. So do it. Get busy blessing. He's trying to control God. And maybe you can relate to that too in your faith. A time where you weren't sure what to do when you try to maybe treat God almost like a cosmic vending machine where it's like, God, this is what I need now. Just do it. I don't see you doing it, but God. Don't you love me? But God. So if your life is a mess right now in any way whatsoever, first of all, know that you are in good company. You're in good company here at Meadowland. We don't claim to be perfect, but we're being perfected through Jesus. We don't have it all together. That's why we're here. Because we're walking together as a body of Christ, holding each other up, lifting each other up as we pursue God through Jesus. If your walk with God is a little shaky right now, I hope that you were encouraged by Jacob's story as we dig into him wrestling with God, because this is a true and better story of God working in Jacob's life. All right, if you got your Bibles, Genesis chapter 32, we're going to begin in verse 22. Genesis 32, 22. The same night he arose, this is the same night that it kind of built up to all this stuff where where Laban pursued him, and now he's sending, you know, he's going to Esau and he split the camps and he sent them all ahead, and now it's that night. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. He was left alone. You got to imagine a man with two wives, two lady friends, and 11 kids, plus all these herds and, and flocks and servants, probably doesn't get, a much, doesn't get much time alone. Yet here he is, alone for the night. He finishes dividing up his two camps. He sends them ahead to go and meet Esau. The bribes in front, and then the, the, the herds and the families split into different camps, and he's left alone. For the most part, being alone can be scary for some, uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Maybe an unwelcome place to be. Especially when it comes to being alone with God. Because when you're alone with God, there's nowhere else to hide. We try to, though. We try to put our mind on other things. or It's like being with that one friend that you're trying to have a conversation about. You know, you know there's something you need to talk about, but you don't want to talk about it yet, so you keep bringing up new things. Let's talk about the weather. Let's talk about this. Oh, did you see that thing last night? Because you don't want to get to what really matters because it scares you. But when we get to a place where we're alone with God, It'd be scary because we have nowhere to hide. See, for those that know me, I'm an extreme extrovert. You know, they say extroverts get the energy by being with people and introverts get the energy by being uh, alone. It doesn't mean introverts don't like people. It doesn't mean extroverts always like you. Um, Don't take offense if they don't. Um, It just means that we we get our energy from being alone or from being with people. So I'm an extrovert on the extreme end of the scale. I love being around people. If I'm working on something, it's kind of beating me down, you could come and be with me. You don't even need to help. Just be in the room and talk with me, and I'll accomplish more. Because I get energized with being around people. And so in the fall of 2012, we, my family moved up here. Um, it was an unplanned move and all kind of just some different things, some job changes we weren't expecting, and we're so thankful to be up here. But because of how it worked out, we couldn't sell our home, and so We've been renting out our home, and just recently we found out that we were losing our tenants, and so just this week, I spent Monday and Tuesday, i take the days off and go down to Lombard, where our home is, and do some work there to kind of go through some repairs, some maintenance, and get the house ready for the new tenants. It was more than I expected, and so pretty much I worked all day Monday, my plan was to sleep in the house. Um, not because there weren't other options. I we had neighbors. We had people I could stay with. But I wanted to be able to just work, 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 go to sleep, wake up, work, 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 and, and get done as fast as I, I can to get back up here. Because my family's here. My community's here. Meadowland is here. My heart, my passion, my desire is here. But for a large part of this week, my responsibility was in Lombard. And so that's where I found myself, in this home uh, that we used to, to live in with zero furniture, I laid down some painting tarps I wasn't using. I put a blanket down. I I threw it over. I know I could have done more, but um, I was focused on getting the job done. And it was the most alone i have been in a long time. And it wasn't just because of being physically alone. It wasn't just because I was in a house that had nothing in it. It wasn't just because there was, at that point, seemed like so much work on my shoulders ahead, plus knowing I had other, other responsibilities I had to see through up here. It was a combination of all that. And when I add all that up, I got to this point with God where I was just like, God, why aren't you saving me? Why aren't you rescuing me from this? And I wrestled with God. I've been expecting, God, why don't you do something about this? Why don't you just do this my way? Here's how this should play out. Why aren't you listening, God? Many times I found myself in a position like that towards God. Jacob, too, wrestled with God. I bet you Jacob just wanted the problems with Esau just to go away. Let's see what happens here. Genesis 32, picking up in verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? Now, a careful reading of this passage may bring about more questions than it actually answers. And so if we hit some points in there, like, well, wait, what? So some guy just shows up and starts, hey, let's wrestle? I mean, it sounds kind of weird. there's some other things that just, you're okay. I'm with you on that. So let's work through a few of those questions, and I hope that as we work through some of these questions, we can come to understand what happened in this story of Jacob wrestling with God. We can learn more about who God is and what that means for us in our lives as we walk with him, as we serve him, as we live for him. And then we'll close with a, a reminder of how Jesus is a true and better Jacob and the encouragement we can find in that. So one of the first questions I want to raise actually comes from the, the end of the passage we read. Uh, why does Jacob call the place Peniel? And then it says, the sun rose upon him in verse 31, as he passed Penuel. Penuel. The I goes to a U. Is this a different place? Well, it was all kinds of that we're not sure of. Very likely, it's the same place he's talking about. A couple different possibilities. It could be a, a variation of the spelling. But Then you say, Steve, well, why, why would you use two different variations, one sentence apart from each other? Well, if we look at it, Peniel means that the face of God. That's why Jacob called it that, because he had wrestled with God. He had seen God face to face. He said, I'm going to call this place the face of God because that's where I saw the face of God. That's a very personal experience. Now, if you were someone else looking at the situation, you could say, that guy had an encounter with God. That guy, if you knew the whole story, that guy turned to God. And penuel means he turns to God. And so it could be something as simple as that, where it's that that, that personalizing. Jacob says, I've seen the face of God, and then you see the similarity in in, in one little letter, a similar word, means he turns to God. So we don't know. It, it makes sense as you read in the text that uh, it, it's the same place they're talking about why they have the different spelling. Um, there's not certainty, but we can definitely, when you see things like that, we can dig into them. It's okay. And it's okay to be left with a little bit of a question mark. Like, well, I think this is what it is, but you know what? It, the text doesn't really answer that question. That's something else we need to be careful of. But if the text doesn't answer the question, we don't want to say this is definitely what it is unless we, we can find that in the text. So another question. Who is Jacob wrestling with? Well, he already said, this is about Jacob wrestling with God, right? Well, it starts as he's wrestling with a man, right? Some translations may even say an angel. Other verses in the scripture that speak to this event say an angel. But then at the end, he says, I've seen God face to face. So so who is it? Who is he wrestling with? Well, looking at Jacob and his experience, I think that's how the story is told through. As far as he was aware, this was some man coming up to him saying, all right, we're going to wrestle, and so that would have been a common way to battle each other out in that day and age. And so they're wrestling. And as the story goes on, he begins to realize, whoa, this guy's got some power. Even though he hasn't beat me yet, he touched my hip, boom, dislocated, he has the power to cripple. And at some point, he, he recognizes who this is to the point where he it, realizes that it's someone who can bless him, right? And so as we look at it through Jacob's perspective, we see that he sees this person for who he really is, and that's God. So while it may not answer every detail of how it unfolded or how it played out, we can with certainty say, yes, this was God. Whether it was Jesus in the flesh, whether it was uh, God sent an angel on His behalf, but then even say, he says, you know, I saw the face of God. So who was J- Jacob wrestling with? He was wrestling with God, which might lead us to our next question: Is this real life? Is this really happening physically? If we were to you know, be a fly on the wall uh, or on the camels behind, would we, you know, there's no walls there, he's out in the middle of the desert, uh, would we see um, two people wrestling or would you see a guy taking a nap by a campfire and all this is going on as a dream or in the spiritual realms? Again, we don't fully know, but I think we can look in some different words and, and, and things that we see in the text and can give us some ideas. And they go, On one hand, yes, it's something that's physically happening. It says that they're wrestling. Uh, different things like, he let me go or I touched my hip, saw the face of God. That There's these, these personal details, these physical details. But in the same regard, we also know that God is not restrained by the flesh. He doesn't have to appear to us in the flesh, but that he is spirit as well. We also see how this experience changed Jacob's life. So we know on some level God was engaging with him uh, on a spiritual, on a mental level. So was this physical or spiritual? I'd say yes. Both. We see some of these changes that take place in him. We see how it changes his relationship with God. Remember, it used to be, you're the God of my fathers and the God who's promised to bless me. And now we see uh, at the end of chapter 33, uh, after he goes and meets Esau and all works out, uh, Jacob erects an altar and names it the God of Israel. That was the name of the altar, God, the God of Israel. And we're going to see, we saw in the text that God changes his name to Israel. So in essence, we're used to hearing Israel the nation, but Israel the nation gets its name from Israel the person, who used to be Jacob, who wrestled with God. God changes his name to Israel, and he puts up the statue, says, like, representing the God of Israel. They're like me saying, here's a, an altar to the God of Steve, or you put your name in there. So in the first moments, he's saying, this is my God. We see the end of his days where he's blessing his son, Joseph. In Genesis 48, 15, he says, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. That's in the middle of a larger verse, but he refers to God as the God who has been his shepherd, my shepherd. So you can see this is changing his relationship with God. He's changing his relationship with other people. After this whole long night of wrestling with God, he alters his plan. Before it was, I'm going to send a bribe, I'm going to send uh, the the, the animals and the flocks, I'm going to send the women and the children, and then I'm going to follow up. But as we see when he comes out of this experience of wrestling with God, uh, Genesis 33, 3 through 4, he himself went on before them. There's a change of, of posture, right? He went from cowering behind everybody Responsibility and and saying, I'm going to go first. Bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. That fell on on his neck part just reminds me of brothers. Probably, you know, weren't sure if they were fighting or wrestling or hugging, but, you know, they were brothers that loved each other and uh, he went out to greet them. So he went from a place of fear of man to a place of trust in God. We also saw, at one point, what was a bribe became a blessing. So basically, he sends this bribe ahead, and Esau's like, Dude, I'm, I'm good. Thanks, but I'm good. You don't need to win my favor. We're all good. You're my brother. And Jacob replies with this in Genesis thirty-three eleven: Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. What was it before? Before the wrestling, it was, please don't kill me. And please don't kill the women and children. And please don't take my stuff. Here's a bunch of it for yourself without a battle. Now it's a, God's been good to me. Here, be blessed by this. So what, what, what point was a bribe has become a blessing? Because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. So I, you know, what, what, was it a physical, spiritual battle? I think it was both. Another question we could ask, why doesn't God know Jacob's name? So if this really was God, why does he stop at the end of the night and say, so what's your name? Tell me about yourself. He's not some Santa figure at the mall that says, tell me your name, little boy. Well, if you're really Santa, you tell me. No, this is God. He's not trying to find out his name. He's not looking for information. He's reminding Jacob of who he is. His name means heel grabber, supplanter. It reminds him of, of, of all that he's done all the conniving, all the cheating. Jacob has taken and cheated for what he's wanted, and then he's run from the conflict. And while he's obeyed God, he hasn't always trusted in him or fully known him. We can even see this when Jacob asks asks God, tell me your name. Basically saying, tell me more about you. I want to know you. And then God doesn't give him a, a response of a name because he knows it's not a name that's important, but a relationship. And he can know that by knowing how he engaged with his forefathers. So I think God's response when He doesn't give him a name is an essence saying, "Know Me, not My name." You ask my kids what my name is. Um, either to be, be clever, or be, being a, a smarty pants, they'll say Steve. But just if they know you're not trying to trick them, what, what's his name over there? And you point to me. What do they say? That's Daddy. That's Dad. So. If For for Jacob to say, what's your name? I'm I'm your Lord, I'm I'm God. I'm your Heavenly Father. Know me, not my name. Then Jacob is blessed with this new name, Israel, which means strives with God. And so God reminds him of the truth. Here, you've been Jacob up until this point. You've been a cheat and a deceiver. But now you're Israel. You're one who strives with God. Yes, it's a wrestle. Yes, it's a battle. But you are pursuing me. You are walking with me. And there is the grace. Children of God, today, let us strive with God. I'm running out of time. so I want to hit on some important things real quick here. Uh, Last question. If Jacob is truly wrestling with God, here's probably one of the biggest questions. How did Jacob prevail? Did you catch that in the verse? They wrestled all night, and who wins? It says Jacob prevails. How does Jacob prevail over God? If this truly is God, how can that be? Well, I think the short answer is because God allows it. Because God allows it. See, we, we see the power of God and the fact that he's like, okay, I'm done, Bzz, your hip is crippled. And yet these are the same hands that, that were wrestling and, and, and duking it out with them. And there was no crippling going on. And so that's not like all of a sudden he found some magic being that gave him magic power for this moment. That's saying he's had this power all along and he's withheld it out of a love for Jacob, out of a care for him. Think of an adult wrestling with their son, with their daughter, with their niece, with their nephew. If you've ever been in that situation, you know you can end this game at any point. And yet there's all kinds of times where they'd say, yeah, I'm winning. I got dad, I got my auntie, I got my uncle, I got mom, I'm winning. Jacob prevailed because God allowed it. And all of a sudden, God's like, all right, time for me to go. And Jacob's like, no, I don't want you to go. This is crippled. And Jacob holds on. You ever done that with your kids? Or with someone else's kids? Or you're playing with a friend's kids or neighbor's kids or your you know, nieces or nephews? We're wrestling with them. The next thing you know, you're standing up, but they're on your leg. Kind of doing that like limp drag. I, I, time to go. I'm gonna go do something else. If the big game's on tonight. Go go watch the game. No, no, we're still wrestling. And this, Jacob's fighting through the pain of of that dislocated hip, and he's saying, no, no, I'm finally realizing who you are. I want to go your way. You said you had blessing for me. All right, bless me. Help me to see what it is. We begin to see his heart yielding to God. Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, uh, references this this moment in in history. Actually tells us that he wept. Begin to see his posture towards God is softening. It's coming to this place of not my will, but yours be done. Yes, God will break the power of our old ways, uh, even though temptation might still be there. Jacob still had his feet to run on, but God reminded him, hey, we, we broke you of that. We broke you. Every time he limps, he remembers, all right, that's right, I used to run, but now I know and get with in God, I can stand firm. Jacob had always ran when there was trouble, but God kept him from running. See, so many times we desire for God to rescue us from our troubles. God, take this away, remove it. I think so many times God rescues us through them. He says, I got this. I'm with you. You remember when you were a kid on the jungle gyms, you, you want to go down a slide that seemed too big, or you want to do the monkey bars that seemed too high? You're hesitant, your parents like, I got you. Let's go through this. Just pick me up and take me to the other side, Dad. I got this. Let's go through it. Because they knew the joy you'd receive. They knew how you would grow. They knew all the good things that would come. And so your parents brought you through it. In the same way, there's times where I think God desires not to rescue us from our struggles, but to work through them. Not to leave us, not to abandon us, but to be with us. When we go our own way, a loving father will discipline a wayward child. Hebrews twelve five through 7 say this, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have endured. God is treating you as sons. See, Meadowlamp, there is no need to fear discipline from God when we know the love of God. There's no need to fear the discipline of God when you know the love of God. We actually have a new series coming up. We're going to put it right in the middle of this series. So next week for three weeks we'll be talking about a series called Love Does. And for those who uh, aren't married or, or uh, have struggles in your marriage, like, I don't want to do a you know, love series in the middle of February, don't worry. we the context in which we're looking at is how does God show his love to us and how do we show our love to this world? Yes, there'll be application for marriage and all those different kinds of things, but if that's not where you're at right now, uh, that's not the medium we're using this month. Uh, I know there's some big stuff coming up in February. You know, there's a big event coming up I need to buy my wife some presents for and show her my love for. You know what I'm talking about, right? February 21st, her birthday. Okay. I know, I know. This is a different date where I buy gifts for my mother-in-law. It's her birthday, February 14th. Um, So, a new series called Love Does, but we know that God loves us. We we don't need to worry about his discipline. Sure, it's still never fun, but we don't need to worry about it. See, Jesus is a true and better Jacob. Both Jacob and Jesus struggled with God. Jacob, we we already saw that story. Jesus struggled with God when he was in the garden. He said, Father, take this cup from me before he went to the cross. If there's another way, let's go that way. Both were wounded. Jesus, Jesus was beaten and crucified. And put to death. Both made requests of the Father. Jacob said, bless me. Jesus said, take this cup from me. But eventually in Jacob's life, and we see immediately in Jesus' life, they both came to this point of yielding to the Father, saying, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus, as a true and perfect, a true and better Jacob, took the wounds that we deserve, and we received the blessing that was his. Because both Jacob and Jesus birthed a new identity. Jacob become Israel, we become forgiven, saints, redeemed, sons and daughters of the Almighty, when we trust in Jesus. So it was Tuesday night, and I was uh, painting one of the bedrooms, and so Monday night, I had a few buddies come help for a few hours, and had a little bit of a, you know, had some people around I could talk to, a little bit of a reprieve, but there's still this overwhelming uh, feeling of all the work I had to do and Tuesday was my last day there until the day I was going to meet the new tenants, and so I had to get as much done as I could. And it was getting late, and I had uh, worship music playing on my phone, and all of a sudden the song "How Deep the Father's Love for Us" it's an old hymn comes on, and, and this is already a song that God has been using in my life for a couple different uh, circumstances, and so I, I think He knew it would just kind of perk up uh, my, my ears, and I would listen in. and I, I got to this point where I'm like, God, I've been down here almost two year, two days. Going through all this, and I've been stressing about since Thanksgiving leading up to this point, and just being at a place of, God, why aren't you rescuing me from this? And I I keep trying to say, fine, I'm going to do it myself and figure it out. And finally, I was just sitting there painting, didn't have a, a thought in my mind at the moment, and I heard this song, and I was just overwhelmed as if God was saying, I love you, I will protect you, I will provide for you, I will give you peace. Do you trust me? see, that's that's, that's the thing. Jacob kept trying to figure out like he had to do it on his own. He didn't know how to do it, so he ran. But when we trust in God, He provides for us. He brings us peace. When we go to Him instead of our own power, our own strength, yes, it may not take away the pain, it may not take away the struggle, but He'll walk us through it. Wrestling with God is striving for God, being in relationship with Him. Let us all come to a place, church, where we can say, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to invite the band to come up on the stage here. Uh, We're going to close out by praising God through the song, Mercy. And the line of that song that I absolutely love is, you delight in showing mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. If you came in here this morning just feeling like life was an absolute mess, please know there is a God in heaven who offers mercy so that we can escape judgment when we trust in Jesus. So let's come to a place where we can lay all of our troubles at his feet. Again, he may not rescue us, us from them, but he will rescue us, us through them. As he provides for us, as he gives us peace, as he protects us, It is an amazing God. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you so much for this time together. We give you the glory. We ask as we praise you through this last song that you would just work in our hearts, work in our minds, work in our lives, Father. Help us to cling to you like Jacob, even after the wrestling match was done and you said enough. Even after you crippled him, he clung to you, Father God, revealing his heart of yielding to you, saying, I need you. I yield myself to you, Father. Let us be in that place today because the garbage we have to deal with is too much. We need you, Father. We need you. Praise all in your name. Amen.